Thank you for praying for um, our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I've had the privilege of working uh, with the Ministry of Open Doors for um, the last three or four months, and it's just incredible to see what God's doing um, across the world through His church. Um, and we just pray for boldness and courage across the body of Christ. And so thank you for praying with the persecuted church. It's funny the language you put to that. We don't pray necessarily for the persecuted church. We pray with the persecuted church because they're praying for the same things that we are. Um, so that's powerful. Why don't, we, why don't we pray this morning before we get into the word? God, we, we, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here today, God, in, in freedom. Um, and, and we thank you that... Um, we're here to, to hear the word, we're here um, in gathering in community, um, and, and that we're able to come together um, in unity, God, and hear your word, to digest it, and to not only hear the word, but, but to do the word. And, and God, we just pray that the words that are spoken today are not my words, it's not my wisdom, but God, it's from the Holy Spirit, um, and, and that we could take this into our weeks and our lives and, and see a transformative effect take place not for just for our benefit, God, but for the, so others may live, for the sake of others, um, that we would be open and bold in sharing the good news of the gospel and our lives would reflect that being the light of the world. Uh, so God, we just thank you um, for what you're doing in this place. We pray for open hearts, fertile soil, um, and we thank you for what a wonderful uh, Sunday afternoon we're going to have here today. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. I can never work out if it's amen or amen. Anyone say amen or amen? I change it every time. I keep people on their toes. Um, so today's message um, is called From the Feet. So if you, anyone tuned into Nara service, there might be some familiar points in here. Um, from the feet. So basically, I'm just going to cover how do we um, go from the feet of Jesus, surrounding at the feet of Jesus, to following Jesus and what that discipleship process looks like. I might slip this down here. So basically, two questions I'm going to ask is, how do you approach Jesus? Or how was it the first time you approached Jesus? And then how do you go from approaching Jesus and then to following Him? I want to go to a couple of passages and scenarios and situations in the Bible where people approached Jesus and fell at His feet. In Luke 8.35, it says, And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. This is telling us of a story of a demon-possessed man in, um, in, Ges- not in Gethsemane, no, Garrison. Gar- in Garrison. Crazy. He was, he was off his head. He was hurting himself, living in a cave. And then he came and surrendered to Jesus after being delivered of demons, the le- it was called the legion. Um, and they were cast out and he fell at the feet of Jesus and surrendered. In Luke 10.39, we see um, Martha's sister Mary sitting at the Lord's feet listening to what Jesus said. And in this scenario where Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, this is a posture of learning. She's, she's listening uh, to what Jesus is teaching. In Matthew 15.30, it says, Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, Jesus' feet, and he healed them. In Mark 5.22-23, it says, Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. 
In Luke 7, 37 to 38, a sinful woman in the town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind Jesus at his feet crying. She began to wash his feet with her tears and she dried them with her hair, kissing them many times and rubbing them with perfume. I think this is one of the most purest forms of worship and just all outness. Um, from, from anyone in, in these passages. And, and, in, and lastly, in Mark 7, 25 to 26, for a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by nation, and she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. This is a list of passages and a list of situations and people, real people, 2,000 years ago that fell at the feet of Jesus. And in these different scenarios where we see people falling at the feet of Jesus, a couple of the reasons why we see that, see that is one of them is to teach, to learn, as you see in the, in the story of Mary. And see, what we know from Mary's story is that Mary had seven uh, demons uh, cast out of her. She came from a very crazy position, a really desperate, evil place, and she found freedom in Jesus. We see people there in a posture of desperation. My, my daughter is dying. My daughter needs a, an unclean spirit cast out of her. And then we see that surrender, people desperate for healing, falling at the feet of Jesus. What I, what I find phenomenal, one of the first points I find phenomenal about this is just the diversity of people coming to the feet of Jesus. We have a demon-possessed man. We have a woman, Mary, who was, you know, delivered from that. A guy, the, the demon-possessed man was tormented by a legion of demons. We see Gentiles, Samaritans, a Greek woman on behalf of her daughter. We see a synagogue leader who would have been, uh, who would have been ridiculed for coming in and seeking the help of Jesus. We see an immoral woman in a Pharisee's house. Like what a just a, an awkward scene um, for, a, for a Pharisee to be welcoming Jesus and an immoral woman breaking through the door. Jesus is here and then washing his feet with her tears and, and breaking uh, an expensive alabaster jar of perfume. And then in, in, in Matthew's gospel, we see the crowds bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute and many others to the feet of Jesus for healing. And I think this is just a powerful scene, a powerful look into what it looks like, what Jesus' ministry actually looks like. It, it, it's not necessarily sometimes even what we see in the Western context of we've got, all, we've got it all together, we're going to suit up and go to church in our, in our nicest clothes. Gonna, it's, Jesus is here for everyone. He's here for the hurting, he's here for the rich, he's here for the poor, and he welcomes them. And it's our position out of our desperation that we come to the feet of Jesus. These people were in search for true freedom. They were searching for healing because they knew they had found the promised Son of God, the Messiah. And see, we, we are also on that same journey. And I guess my question for you today, what was your surrendering at Jesus' feet moment? Have you, have you had that moment yet? Is it, is it a moment that you've had? Because I believe it's at that point where we realize that we can't do it in our own strength or effort and that we need to surrender all we are to God, that's when we really start to walk in the grace of God, when we really start to see our old sinful life turn into a new life. It's that point of repentance. I love this from Billy Graham. 
uh, famous quote. He says, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. The feet of Jesus is a great equalizer and is the beginning point of our feet. And my point number one is you are welcome at the feet of Jesus. If you're struggling with addiction, hopelessness, demonic presence, sickness, or you know you're in a struggle that you cannot get out of yourself, run for and surrender at the feet of Jesus. When we get to that point of repentance, when we get to that point of desperation, knowing that we need a Savior that badly, it's that point of repentance where we turn away from our old sinful life. We turn away from the things that were keeping us back. We turn away from anything that dishonors God and we surrender at His feet. Is when we truly enter into the kingdom of God and when we take Him on as Master and Savior. See, our initial encounter with God is critically important. I think it is one of the most wonderful experiences you'll ever have. And if today you're in this place and you say, I haven't had that experience before, maybe it's time to seek God and go to the feet of Jesus and say, God, I, I pour it out all to you, the addiction, the struggle, whatever I'm going through, I, I lay it at your feet. Uh, but for, for many people who have been in church and, and are uh, followers of Jesus for a number of years, I... Uh, the rest of my sermon is going to sort of point us towards what does it look like to go from that point of surrender and at the feet of Jesus to actually following Jesus. Because there's a stark difference between the initial encounter versus how we live out as disciples and followers of Christ. So my second point for today is follow in Jesus's footsteps. And I flagged this this morning, but a lot of my um, sermon is going to mention the word feet or foot. So if you don't like the word foot or feet, I do apologize in advance. Um, but that's the, re- the direction we're going. So where, where to from the feet of Jesus? Once we receive our healing, our deliverance, our salvation, where do we go? And, and to put simply, we must die to our old self, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. Put simply, anyways. And, and unfortunately, this is the part where many people get stuck. People get freed from oppression, from sin. They have that miraculous supernatural encounter with Christ, with the Holy Spirit. And then they're given the freedom to then grow and walk out that salvation. And sometimes that's the sticking point for a lot of people. We experience the glory of God. You might get miraculously healed, delivered. You might see a whole bunch of people, a whole family come to Christ. But what is that journey past that? And because sometimes in the infancy of our newfound faith, and if you don't walk out your faith and follow Jesus, it's easy to get distracted. And, and, and when we take Jesus as master and Lord, uh, we need to walk that out. Otherwise, we'll find ourselves crawling to other masters and to the feet of other things. Some of the other masters that can take over in our life, uh, Hollywood, materialism, political ideologies, substance abuse, money, All of these things can have a hold on our life if we don't go from being at the feet of Jesus to walking out and following Him and being in His presence. As many of us would know, Jesus says you can't serve two masters. In Matthew 6, 24, He says no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In this context, Jesus is talking about money. But we know as believers that we, Jesus wants our full allegiance. He doesn't want our, um, our eggs in different baskets. He's just all in. He wants us our whole lives. So when we, when we walk and have find a new life in Jesus, we must continue to stay close to Him. 
coming to the feet of Jesus at the start of our salvation is fantastic and, and it's a point of surrender. But we must always stay close to Jesus. That's what a disciple is. A disciple, um, especially in the rabbinic times, when in 2,000 years ago, um, the Apostle Paul was actually under a guy called Gamaliel. And basically, a disciple was a learner or student, right? And um, what they did is they would spend time, they would follow the, the rabbi wherever they go. They would follow the teacher to learn the teachings and learn what, they, what the, the interpretations of the law and how they conducted themselves, but also how they lived. And they would, um, they would learn uh, by proximity. They would learn by being in the atmosphere of that teacher. Because it wasn't just the written law that they were learning, but they were learning to see how they operate. And, and it's the same for us. Once we come to the feet of Jesus, we must continue to stay in His presence as disciples and followers. It's not something that it's a one-off encounter. We must be, continue to be in His presence through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and He has given us that helper through the Holy Spirit to sit at His feet. So we're to sit at His feet to walk with Him and to follow Him. And I love what Jesus does uh, in Matthew 4 and Matthew 8, he calls the disciples, um, Andrew and Simon Peter initially, and he says, follow me. And I think this is the crux of what it means to be a disciple of, Je- uh, of Jesus. It's to follow Jesus. And he does the same in, in Matthew 9 uh, to Matthew. It's funny to say Matthew in Matthew 9 at the tax collector booth. Jesus becomes our master, Lord, and teacher. I'm going to uh, quote um, a guy called Dallas Willard, and I know Alec is here, so he, that's, he's a fan favorite of Dallas Willard. Um, but I love this. It says, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. And, and listen to this definition of discipleship from, from someone else. Where we be with another person in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become like what that person is. See, to follow Jesus isn't just to do everything that he said, although that is a fundamental component of what we do as disciples of Jesus. But it's also to become who he is. We're called to be Christ-like. We're called to be trained and to be um, formed into the image of God, to conform to who he is. To follow Jesus is to to be a disciple, to be an apprentice to Jesus. We are co-laborers and servants in the kingdom of God. What is this? actually look like for us to conform and to obey the teachings and follow his lifestyle it means undistracted time with the father i think that is just one of the most simple things but one of the hardest things to do undistracted personal private time with the father being compassionate loving and open not just to people within this building or the church but to sinful people immoral people people that don't agree with us. To lead with love, not giving into the busyness and the hurry of life, but living a balanced, godly existence. I love how people say, you never saw Jesus hurry anywhere, right? He was always kind of walking in that aura and presence. Um, And then living in tight-knit communities and just practicing hospitality um, and just really loving on people because that's what you saw Jesus doing. I I, I got such a challenging... um, question from a guy called David Fuller, but Billy Graham used to run with this question in some of his crusades and, his, um, and some of his ministries and, and his big events. And this is the question, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? 
Pretty, pretty scary question, right? Like, and they usually go down the rabbit trail of like, if we brought in uh, your family members, the, your friends, if we brought in, uh, you know, your work colleagues or your bosses, and they came in into the witness box, would there be enough evidence without a doubt that, that you are a Christian? Uh, I think this is just a crazy, if we subpoenaed, um, subpoenaed you and got, you know, your financial documents and, and your whatever, whatever it is, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? And I think the challenge for us is, is once we come to that place of surrender and that point of grace where we are, we are saved and we are following Jesus, what does it actually look like, look like for us to work that out? What does it look like to work out our salvation and to follow Jesus? And I think the scary thing is across the, the global church, what does it look like for not, not only us to identify as a Christian, because to identify as something is a big hot topic right now. You can identify as sort of whatever you want. But what does it look like to identify as a Christian and actually work that out? Because um, I am worried that many people might identify as a Christian and, and, and have for decades, but actually haven't become more like Jesus in the process. Because followers of Jesus seek not only to learn about Jesus or to know about Jesus, but to actually know Him and to become like Him. We'll move on from that point. Point number three, uh, wash the feet of others. It's a very feet-focused sermon today, um, but just just before Passover, um, Jesus had a dinner in the upper room with his disciples, um, and Jesus gets up from the evening meal. Um, he takes off his outer garments, he wraps a towel around his waist, and then pours water into a basin. And, and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples and then dry their feet with a towel around his waist. And many of you might know the story um, quite well. But I'm, I'm just going to read the passage after that story of Jesus washing the, the feet of, his, of the disciples and see the crazy thing about this story is that usually the servants or the slaves of a household would wash the feet of the people entering into the household. It wasn't something for the disciples necessarily to do or even particularly for Jesus, you know, the Son of God, Messiah, um, their rabbi. Like he wasn't the one to be washing people's feet, but and that's why it was so transformative. But I'm going to pick it up from John 13, 12. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Just for a bit of a contrast, I want to go to Matthew 10, 24, 25 while we're here. It says, The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers, and servants like their masters. I think this is an incredible reminder um, for what it means to be a follower of Jesus, a servant of Christ within the kingdom of God. We must recognize that we aren't the master, and oftentimes we can run to the feet of other masters, as I mentioned earlier in the sermon, whether it be money or any other sort of control. Um, but sometimes 
we can confuse our role as being a disciple or a follower of Christ with actually trying to be the master ourselves and lead our own life out of self-sufficiency and, and the, the other dangers of not looking towards Jesus as our master. But as we know, no servant is greater than their master and our master is Jesus. And our position in the kingdom of God is to be a servant. It's to follow Jesus and to become like him. As the verse says, it's not to be the master, it's to be like the master and to grow into his likeness. And uh, one of the dangers, I guess, of what we see in the world when we, when we take a, the wrong approach to being a, a servant and, and, and taking a, the um, attitude of a master is this, is sometimes we can judge people thinking we're the master of the kingdom of God or thinking we're, um, we're in control um, of, of the whole situation. But really, God has called us to be servants. And let me explain that a little bit more. Sometimes we can judge people and, and we can be uh, the morality brigade and, and we can judge people whether they're right or wrong and not come from a position of love initially. And what's interesting is that Jesus approached sinful people and immoral people, firstly with grace and love, he was open to them. And it's those who held the law tightly and were Pharisaical that he would uh, critically, uh, critically come out and, and condemn, and uh, not necessarily condemn, but to correct and to rebuke. And, and I think our position as Christians is kind of to do the same. It's not necessarily our place to judge. That, that's not our position, that's Jesus' job at the end of the day, he's, Jesus is the judge, he's the master. And, and, and as we know in scripture, we are not into the ministry of morality, we're in the ministry of reconciliation. We're trying to bring people to the Father, not to judge them away from the Father. Because sometimes we expect people, particularly in the world, we impose the values of the kingdom of God onto other people without taking him through the journey. So if someone's struggling with an addiction, they're not a believer yet, and we just go out and just condemn them and judge them for what they're doing, and they haven't even entered the building when it comes to their following Jesus. But and we forget there's a process of sanctification to take place, that none of us were there overnight on the first night we encountered God, but we're actually there to walk alongside these people and to be in the ministry of reconciliation means we approach them with grace and love and we bring them across and try to reconcile them with the Father because that's the job in this, as servants in the kingdom of God that we've been given. We witness with truth and love and serve them so that they can be reconciled to the Father. Another distinction I want to pick out of that previous passage is the idea that Jesus says, I am Lord and teacher, that, that is what I am. And what, what is Lord or master, another term for that? It's really coming under the authority of Jesus, under the control of Jesus. God is our owner. We come under the reign and lordship of Jesus Christ. And as we know the scripture, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. It's a powerful verse and it's exactly what we need to do. Um, and But then we get to the flip the other side of that, the other, we've got Lord and then we've got teacher. And, and over 60 times, um, Jesus is called by the title teacher. And, and see, sometimes people would say that, oh, he's being called teacher in some certain circumstances because they don't believe he is Lord. But Jesus here says that I am Lord and teacher. 
And the danger is when we walk and we, and we see Jesus not as our teacher and we just say he's just our Lord, which is perfectly important. But if we don't see him as both, sometimes we can throw the baby out with the bathwater. And following Jesus means that we are taught by God how to live life, not only in the commands and the scriptures that he's given us, but also in the way that he lived his life. We are on a progressive um, sanctification process where we continue to learn and, and to learn from the teachings of Jesus. Jesus says to, we're, uh, we're called to follow Jesus. And even in the commandment of making disciples, he says, Jesus says to teach them to obey the commandments that I've given you. Teaching is a big part of what we're, going, we're meant to do. So it's really important that when we take Jesus as Lord, as our initial salvation, we have that encounter, we give him the reins and the control, that we don't neglect the teaching process that God takes us on. And that teaching process, um, as we know, to be a disciple is to be a student and learner. But there is a process there of actually being like an apprentice, where it's not just theoretical learning that we might get in a Western classroom where, you know, we go through a syllabus and a curriculum, you do a bit of math, you do a bit of science and, and you do the, but it's actually following in Jesus' footsteps and practically outworking the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can outwork that as the light of the world. And that's an active process where we actually do things. And we, not only do we pray and we learn about Jesus, but we actually be Jesus for other people in the way that we live. I love the, G, the model that Jesus gives us here because Jesus says to wash the feet of others, I have set an example for you to do the same. I think that is a powerful example because Jesus isn't just teaching theoretically, he's actually doing, he's actually walking out and he's practically out working and washing the feet of others. The foot washing is given as a model and a paradigm, not only of humble, loving service, but of self-sacrificing love. Jesus says, I have set you an example. So to, to, to conclude on today's sermon, I might get you up, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is kingdom living? Kingdom living is this, to stay in surrender at the feet of Jesus, to follow him in your life, and then teach and obey his commandments. I'm going to end with two questions uh, for you today, uh, brothers and sisters. Did you start following Jesus at his feet? Where did, where did your Christian journey start? Was it at the feet of Jesus? Because I believe personally that even looking through the examples that I shared at the start with the men in Gerasene, Mary Magdalene, the sick, the lame, the woman with the alabaster jar, all of these people came to Jesus at his, at, at his feet. Why is that important? It was a point of desperation. It was a point of Jesus, this, this is all of me and I need all of you. It was a point of repentance. I'm going to turn around God from where I am. I know I can't get away from this demonic presence. I can't get away from this sickness. I can't get away from this oppression by, my, by myself. Did you come to Jesus at his feet? Have you come to that? point of complete surrender and repentance and if you can certainly say you have that's that's amazing and it's brilliant and I'm sure many of us have and if you have how have you been transformed and followed him since are you more like Jesus than you were two or three years ago 
Are you more like Jesus than you were 20 or 30 years ago? Are you growing and being discipled under the, the, the master? And this isn't a message of condemnation at, at, at all, but it's a reminder that, you know what, the feet of Jesus isn't just an, a thing at the start, but you can go back to the feet of Jesus. You can surrender at His feet. Whether you've been a Christian for one year, you're not a Christian yet, you've been there for 20, 30 years, we, we are asked, we're continually under and at the feet of Jesus because He is our teacher. He's our Lord. We're continuing to be in His presence because we want to learn and to be more like Him. And to be more like someone, you need to be in, the, in their presence. You need to know what they're like. You need to speak to them, communicate with them. Be, be in their presence. Why don't we close our eyes today? I know there's a lot of weight we've been carrying over the last few months with, you know, lockdown and and other things that have happened, oppressive stuff that that just slips into our lives. What I do know, like the stories of the people that came to a point of desperation, of hopelessness, of anxiety, <clears throat> of all these different things that have come against them, I couldn't imagine what it's like to be in those circumstances. But what I do know is that we're all human and we all go through things. Whether it be the attacks of the enemy or flesh. But we must know, we can drop those things. Whatever's on your mind right now, it might be one thing on your mind right now that that is really holding you back or stirring in your heart or is just making you feel uncomfortable. We can surrender those things at at the feet of Jesus. And more than that, at the foot of the cross because that's where there's victory. So we might just ponder with our eyes closed just for a minute or so. And I'd love for you to just reflect as Chris plays the guitar on just what what can I surrender today at the feet of Jesus? And and then what does it look like for me to to walk in Jesus' footsteps? What does it look like for me to not only surrender, but what's that next step? What does it look like for me to be more like Jesus? Is it more time with the Father? Is it being more compassionate? We'll reflect on that in a moment and then we'll, we'll close in prayer. Awesome. I might just lead us in a prayer, maybe a call and response prayer this morning, something a little bit different.
Dear Heavenly Father, you can repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, we surrender at your feet this morning. You are our Master, our Lord, and our Teacher. We leave our baggage, our sinful desires, and our hurt foot of the cross we ask that you take us through life as as your um, as your servants and we will follow you for the rest of our life in Jesus name we pray amen Amen, amen. Thank you so much, church. Why don't we stand up um, and finish in worship?